All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I am your host. And this episode is called Prodigal Sons and Prodigal Daughters or Prodigal Daughters and Prodigal Sons. And that's because everybody's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Whether we recognize it or not, or choose to believe it or not, it doesn't matter. Everybody is a prodigal son and a prodigal daughter. <clears throat> and if I'd say that's true, probably for everybody except for the atheists. Atheists obviously don't believe in a life after this life. And the prodigal son and prodigal daughter parable in the scriptures in the New Testament point to that thing. And uh, that thing being a life after this life. So I say everybody's a prodigal son and a prodigal daughter, except for atheists, because if you believe in a life after this life, you are operating from that starting point in some way, shape, or fashion. And most of those places, worldviews, whether they're established worldviews like the majors, the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Eastern faith, the main ones, Hinduism, Buddhism. And there's others, of course. I'm not losing any out, but I'm saying they're all. And I'll say they'll all because Christianity has changed into performance instead of grace. But they all are performance. The one that stands out is Jesus. And this is why the prodigal son and the prodigal daughter matter to someone who is, a, I'll put it like this. You know, there, there's, I'll put it like this. There's a Richard Ashcroft song called, Are You Ready? And I heard it and I'm thinking, wow, this dude, and I followed the verb and Richard Ashcroft. I dig his music. Uh, and uh, the dude's singing about the second coming of Christ in that song, Are You Ready? And in that song, he says, I hear that sinners have a chance with him. And that, in a rock and roll song, <laughs> kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, man. And I know you're Richard Ashcroft. He's, you know, his, his public battle with, with drugs when he was with The Verb, I don't think that's hidden. That's all known. But this is where he ended up, believing in Christ and writing songs about it, rock and roll songs about it. It was kind of, it kind of took me back. But that whole album, it's different. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with all the songs on that album, but it's, it's pretty cool. I really like that line. I hear that sinners have got a chance with him. And that's why I say that, because every other worldview, you got to earn your way in. You got to perform. Richard Ashcroft actually recognized something. He's like, I can't earn my way in. There's sin in my veins. He calls it crime in his songs. And he's probably talking about other things too. But he recognizes there's something inherent in the human condition that is fallen. And there's nothing we can do about it. Or else humanity would have done something about it by now. But in an eternal, in an eternal concept, there is nothing we can do to help ourselves. And that's why the prodigal son and the prodigal daughter is each one of us. 
even if we don't believe it, we're still prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Now I'm going to read from Luke because Luke has a great capture of this. This is Luke 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes, those are religious leaders, began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go for the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And that means you change your mind about God. It doesn't mean you just say you're sorry. It means I'm no longer thinking that God is trying to be against me. I am now thinking that God is actually for me. And that sounds kind of weird, but really, that's what, that's what a lot of people believe. A lot of people believe that God will hurt them to try to teach them a lesson. Now, in the Old Covenant, it was based about it, there, Israel's blessings and acceptance. First of all, foremost, their acceptance and the blessings followed was based upon performance. And that performance was prescribed to demonstrate to humans that we cannot keep the standard in this fallen realm. So there's the new covenant. And then you have Jesus. And he's the one that seeks out the one who isn't even looking for him, but knows we need him. And I understand churches and politics have messed this up completely. And I say this because it's true. I've walked right into it. My parents have walked into it. I've walked into it. Generations after generations have walked into this stuff. And somewhere a long time ago, probably, probably, probably quite a long time ago, the message of Jesus's love for fallen creation, so much so that here it says, and the sinners and the tax collectors came near Jesus to listen to him. And the religious leaders did not like it. Now that's something different. That is something different. There's no karma in that. There's no payment. It's the acceptance of being loved. It's, it's allowing yourself to be loved by the one whose image is on your face. That's what it's all about. Okay. I'm going to keep going. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, who accepts my love and receives my love. Repent, change your mind. Over, then over 99 righteous persons who don't need my love. And this is why it says, who need no repentance because they think they've done it on their own. I'm going to keep going. Or what woman... If she has lost, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, 
does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, over one sinner who changes their mind and believes that God loves them, believes that Jesus loves them instead of wants to hit them over the head for any of the slightest missteps that they make. That's where a lot of Christians live, unfortunately. I'd say that's where too many Christians live. And that's where too many people live, whether they believe in Christ or not. And I can say that because no one is exempt from fear. Fear strikes at the believer and the unbeliever equally. The question is, what do you do with it? So here we go. And then Jesus said, a man had two sons. And this one is, this one's, this prodigal son story is actually quite nasty if you think about it. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my estate that falls to me. So in other words, I can't wait for you to die. I want the inheritance now. So he divided his wealth between the two sons. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, that said that both sons got each half. So the older son stayed and he still has his half. Now, when he had spent everything, this is the younger brother, we're back to the scripture. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves. So the son wasn't able to get through his whole speech. The son had his whole speech. He had it all figured out how, in his imagination how it was going to go. And it didn't go that way. He got out about two sentences. And his father said, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. That's a party. Now this older son was, now the older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He's already got his half. He's got his half also. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. 
and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Began pleading with him. That's pretty significant. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I may so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, the father said to the son, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and he's begun to live and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So that's kind of interesting. The older brother had his half, but he still wanted more. And I understand where he's coming from. He's like, hey, I've been working. I've been, I've been doing all this stuff. You gave me my half, but I kept working. And you know what? You never gave me anything on top of my half to have a party with my friends. So why are you having a party with this guy who took your half, couldn't wait for you to die, and I took your half too, by the way. I know I still have it here. I'm speaking for him. I'm putting words in his mouth. Yes. And spent it on loose living and then came back empty-handed, hat in hand. And you give him the best stuff? What is going on? That's from the perspective of performance. And I get it. If you're counting on your performance to provide something for you eternally, in a life after this life, let alone right now. I mean, think about how many people say, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. That's karma, right? That's kind of like, hey, you know, if you do enough good deeds, well, you know, things will start going your way. It doesn't always necessarily work that way. Either a lot of people I know who will say that and then say this. Yeah, but it's hard to explain why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. That is the perspective they have. And I understand it. I've been there too. Now, some people, I'm going to speak to folks in the Christian camp and folks in the non-Christian camp because it's for everybody. A lot of people will say, a lot of people will go to churches and say, yeah, I found this church. They have a good balance between law and grace. They, they do a balanced grace. What that means is they pull the 10 commandments into the old covenant or into the new covenant rather. And that is a mixture of covenants. And Jesus is clear that you cannot do the two at the same time. The old covenant is all performance. And it was given to prove to mankind, human beings, that we can't meet the standard. Wearing ourselves out, lying to ourselves that we're doing this and that. And hey, we're making it. Yep, we're making it. Yep, they were lying. And that's why Israel went into so much oppression. Occupation, I should say. Oppression, too. Oppression and occupation. That was a problem with that. So a balanced message, a balanced gospel, when you hear that, if you hear that at church, that means you're hearing heresy. Now, here's the thing. Grace is grace. The new commandment is this. Love one another. 
love one another. Now, there are a lot of people who say, yeah, people who just want a license to live a sloppy, selfish life. They want to, you've heard, I've heard, I've heard this, a license to sin. No, I don't think so. Because Luke 16, which is follows Luke 15, reads this way. Check this out. I really like this because this is, this is where, this is where it walks out in daily life. Now he was, now Jesus was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management for no one, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write down 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now check this out. This is Jesus talking. He says, Jesus says, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And as I say to you, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That's odd. Why is he saying that? So that when it fails, they will receive you into their eternal dwellings. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. Now he continues. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful to the, in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. That's interesting. What does that look like? How could people try to force their way into the kingdom of heaven? But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. So what he just told them is, if you presume upon your performance, 
you presume upon your performance all the way. There is no grace in that. Because your performance is you earning something. You, you think you're earning something you can never earn. That is precisely what he is telling them right after the story of the prodigal son. So what he's really saying is grace is what everybody needs. Love. Because if we try to earn our way in, we're going to further earn our way into the opposite direction because it's impossible. All right. One more section. And this one is pretty cool. This one is... Uh, this one is Luke. I'm going to stick in Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. One day Jesus was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law. Keeps going back to the law. Keeps going back to the Ten Commandments, because that is the comparison between the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. The Ten Commandments and grace the old covenant and the new covenant. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him into a house that Jesus was at and set him down in front of him. But they did not find any way to bring him in through the front door because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees, those are religious leaders, began to reason saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you? Because here's the thing about it. Just because he says it, nobody can see it. Nobody can see that person's sins fall away from him. Nobody can see that. Then he says, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear. That's odd. Saying, we have seen remarkable things this day. Now check this out. After that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now the tax collectors were right there with the sinners. They were in that group of folks that the religious leaders did not want to get near. So Jesus calls this tax collector, follow me. And he leaves everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. So then he has a party for Jesus and, his, and those who are with him at his house. Levi 
is Matthew. He's the one who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors, more sinners, and other people and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at Jesus' disciples. The Pharisees and scribes are religious leaders saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, people who know they can't do anything to help themselves in eternity. They can get up and they can take care of themselves in the physical world right now and make go to work, do all that stuff. But when you recognize that our efforts, if we're counting on our efforts, stacking up the good ones against the bad ones to see which one is bigger, that list of bad ones is going to be far outweigh the good ones for everybody. It's a fact. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? In other words, I'm with them. Why would I make them starve? Why would I do that? I wouldn't do that. Then he says, but the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. He didn't say, I'll make them fast. He says, they'll do it. And he was also telling them a parable. This is good. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the, wine, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says, the old is good enough. That is about the two covenants the old covenant and the new covenant. If you're used to performing your way into things and thinking that you're doing it to a standard that is impossible, literally, because the standard is thought, heart motive. If you thought it, if you've imagined it, then it's the same thing as doing it. That's the standard. We can play with it all we want, but that's the standard. And Jesus is saying, no one can do it. Now, prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. What does this have to do with cannabis, marijuana? Well, I think there's a lot of people who have run into some denominations of Christianity that obviously said, you can't do that. And these folks walked away. I've walked away from Christianity myself. And I've come back. And I use marijuana. And I advocate for marijuana because it's part of creation. It is part of creation. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. 
I'm not in the healthcare profession. But I read and I listen to people and I look things up. There's like a lot of us do. And it's pretty amazing what medical professionals have found about the human endocannabinoid system, which is not only in humans, but all mammals. You have an endocannabinoid system that modulates homeostasis in your body right now. In fact, it's the largest system for modulating homeostasis in the human body. That is significant. So if there's prodigal sons and prodigal daughters out there thinking that because they use marijuana, and I'm not talking about using it to escape. I'm not talking, I know what that's like. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it helps you because it helps you. It doesn't help you escape. That's not what I'm talking about. It helps you in your daily life. It improves it. That's what I'm talking about. And if it makes you laugh along the way, that's even better. What, what better thing? It's not constipating. It's not addictive. Okay, I would have said that not addictive. There's a study out there that generally people seem to climb, seem to uh, adhere to as some type of standard, roughly 9%. Roughly 9%. Per uh, a study that many people read and, and acknowledge as somewhat factual. And that's because much research hasn't been done. So my point is this, there's a lot of prodigal sons and daughters who think that just because they use marijuana, they can't be, they, they can't do something with Jesus, do anything. And that's not the case. So I hope that's not the case. If you're believing that, that's not the case. It's a part of creation. Prohibition of cannabis was man-made. Churches followed suit. There's an episode in season one, Patrick, J. Patrick Fiore. He's a 30-year evangelical. It's a good conversation. We talk about this exact thing. He did 30 years working for an evangelical organization. It's, good, it's a good episode. You should check it out. But my point is this, is that We're all son, particle sons and particle daughters. Anything can be used to escape. I know people who use food to escape. I know people who use caffeine to escape. I know people who use all kinds of things to escape. Television, cell phone screens, touch pads, all that stuff. Escape is not safe in this life recognizing maladies and understanding a bit more about your human body the systems that are in it and this plant that can help you i'm not saying it's a silver bullet i'm not saying it's a silver bullet at all but it is beneficial it is very beneficial and if that's what's stopping you from believing that Jesus loves you the way he says he loves you, and that's why I'm doing this episode. 
Don't let that stop you from believing. Don't let anything stop you from believing that Jesus is who he says he is and loves you the way he says he loves you. It is clear from what we've, re- what we've read in Luke 15 and 16 and 5 that our maker knows us inside and out. He knows our heart motives. He knows our thoughts. And he says, I still love you. And even after you change your mind and understand that, I, that repenting really means allowing yourself to be loved by me, I know you're going to mess up along the way between here and there. I already know it. Everybody will. I still love you. It's the reminder of that love that pulls people out of pits in their life. Amazing. Amazing. Got a couple great episodes coming up. I've got more than a couple. We got a bunch of great episodes coming up. <laughs> They're good. They're good. You're going to love these folks. Sincere, genuine people. Well, that's it for tonight, y'all. Love you all very much. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. And my name is Miguel Torres, and I'm your host. Love you all.